This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Welcome into episode 116 of Half Measures Podcast. Joining me in the Falcon is my co-pilot, Dan Whiting. Dan, I've got a really good feeling about this. We're talking about Solo. Don't get cocky with me, Kanawa. You better buckle up, baby. I can go all day. <laughs> I, I can't wait for this. This is going to... I feel like this is, this is going to be a good one. I feel like we've kind of moved into the more modern era of star wars and it's going to be a great discussion i can i can sense it i feel the same way actually just when i did my intro and i called you my co-pilot I ended, as soon as i said it i actually thought that makes it sound like i'm the pilot and you're the co-pilot and you're like you're the wookie or but i don't mind being the wookie can i just say it, it's always confused me when i think about star wars in the falcon and why is han always sitting in the passenger seat and why is but of course it's just because in North America, that is the driver's seat on the left. And of course, it only just registered with me with this watch that actually he is in what the North Americans would consider to be, of course, the driver's seat. You've literally just blown my mind. It's something I've never thought about in my life. And I I would just presume in a spaceship that you can just fly from either side, like a bit like a helicopter, right? Like, you know, you, all the controls are there. I'm always intrigued about the controls that take two people to operate, like, yeah. you know, like, you know, when they're like, put the, they're going to hyperspace or something and it's like, and it's like, does it really take two people or is it just like a cool thing that you do? Like, and it's just like, well, whenever we hit hyperspace, we always do it together. That's right. And when you do it, you have to do the little salute first. I love that. We are, we are really, we're really jumping straight into it. Um, so yes, yeah, so this is uh, our review of Solo, a Star Wars story, the 2018 uh, Star Wars movie. So just really quickly, uh, in case you haven't seen this one, we will be, of course, talking, talking spoilers. But uh, before he crossed paths with the Rebellion, Han Solo was actually a former Imperial militant who became a space pirate, cruising around the Outer Rim alongside his fellow outlaw, the mighty Wookiee Chewbacca. And with the emerging demand of hyperfuel and other resources, Han finds himself in the middle of a heist alongside Lando Calrissian in an adventurous situation exposing the criminal underworld. This is the story of how he became known as the galaxy's most notorious smuggler and how the man became a legend. There's a, it's interesting they were solo. Like this is, this is a, I think, a, let's be honest, a lot of Star Wars movies are both loved and hated, but I feel like this one gets a particularly hard time, Paul. It, it is really, I was looking at some of the, the ratings before and it's it's right down there in the ratings um, in amongst some of the lowest of the low. And one of the things that's interesting, even just reading that synopsis is, um, and I've talked about this before in other podcasts, but it's, it's you know, they, there is so much focus on Solo and how the man became legend and, and all the rest of it. But for me, this movie is about Lando, is about Chewie, is about... Han and and all the things around that and so I just wonder if the positioning of the title is part of it but I'm sure there's more to it than that 
Ladies and gentlemen, um, one of Paul's biggest bugaboos is, sta- is Star Wars movies that are titled after after characters. And yes. they, they, they shouldn't be. And I think it's I, I think this is this is fair, right? This is as much a story about the the wider cast as it is about Han. And I think what's interesting is that it, and I was thinking about this in, in prep for this podcast, Paul. So we've got um Alden Rich who plays um Han Solo and I feel like people just give him so much hate and dislike because he's not Harrison Ford. And I think it's just so unfair. And I was thinking about this in the context of The Mandalorian, right? And so these kind of choices they've made with um, Luke Skywalker, where obviously when we first had the appearance of Luke Skywalker and sort of the the digital sort of de-age version, it was, it was okay, but like it kind of had some flaws. And then we had the really advanced version um, in the book of Boba Fett, and you can sort of see how that technology's improved. But like, there's a real tough line, right? Like, do you do you try to use technology to your advantage in DH? And I don't think they could have done that for a solo movie. Or do you bring in a new actor? And I think what is really tough about it is, like, you know, when you sort of read the backstory to Melton, like he had six months of, of casting mm. to even sort of get that role. Like it wasn't just kind of a, oh, you kind of look close enough and you've got a few of the motions down. Like he really had to earn that role. And it's, I think Star Wars is one of those franchises that can kind of really stifle your career because of the fan backlash. And I, it's, I kind of feel like, unfortunately, that's happened to him. And I think it's really unjustified. Oh, I could not agree with you more. It's completely unjustified. He does, for me, a terrific job. And, you know, when we're going to talk about highlights, this is going to be one of my things. He, he, for me, is superb in this. And just on the subject of the casting, I was actually reading, he was actually the first actor to audition for for the original directors, uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. And they said that whilst they liked a lot of the other actors that came in, they just said, oh, that first guy we saw was Han. He was the best. And, and uh, there was also another thing... I found out about him that he, when they were filming, he brought in his own copy of the Millennium Falcon's owner's workshop manual to talk about the button sequence for takeoff. That tells me everything I need to know about this guy. I think he's great. And as an actor, I think he's terrific. And I hope to see him in other things. I certainly hope to see him back in the role of Solo in some some Star Wars uh, movie or series. I think too, and I, and I know we're going to get into the story of this, because the other big controversy around this movie is obviously there was a, a change of directors throughout this movie, and and I think like uh, Ron Howard did a, a fantastic job, and I, I would love to see more Ron Howard in Star Wars, I think. I think he's, he's definitely got the goods for it. Um, and it just added a, a whole bunch of controversy around this movie. I feel like... Uh, the marketing in the sort of studio was already sort of discrediting it. And I've ever read stuff around they actually cut the marketing budget because they lost all confidence in where this movie was going to go. And so it didn't even get the the publicity that your standard Star Wars movie would get, which I which I think is just crazy. It is, it is completely crazy. Um, when you think about the amount of money that Disney has as well, they should have, they should have known to, to, to throw that money at it. But, you know, I think ultimately it was Kathleen Kennedy who who made the call from what I understand with the directors and you know Kathleen Kennedy's back catalogue speaks for itself you know when you go all the way back to, to E.T. and Back to the Future and Indiana there's so much there that you know as, as a producer as as someone who knows what they're doing in the film industry I 
I can only trust that she made the right call. But I love Ron Howard as a director, and I, I know you see, you know, we talked about why does this get such a backlash. There's also a lot of people that talk about, oh, you know, the change in director changed the tone and it changed the. Fi-. I feel like sometimes, am I even qualified to sit on this podcast because? I can't, I can't notice that change in tone or feel. I can't tell the bits which Ron Howard has done, or, or and I, I think it just works fine. But, but yeah, yeah, no, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, it's probably hard to tell without ever seeing the original, like you know, unless you're actually in that inner circle and you know the the script and the, the tone they were going for. But to to a sort of, you know, a couple of novices who kind of just sprout their their thoughts on movies, it's it works for me. Correct. So this is um, one of two movies so far that doesn't have an opening crawl. So Star Wars movies, you know, we're all set for that opening crawl. This one doesn't have it. And I have to say, if I'm kind of coming negatively at the start of the movie, I'm quite happy with the way, you know, they start off with hand trying to start the start the vehicle up and to begin a, 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 uh, an escape. But I, I don't like the way the name appears on the screen i feel like it looks like a neon video game logo or something i don't i don't quite think that's enough i don't think it's it doesn't hold enough prestige or something it hasn't got that because you know we're going to talk about rogue one eventually and uh that one seemed to have more prestige the way it was presented it looked more professional it looked more styles this one looks like a, a 90s video game and then we go through the logo that's not for me Dan. yeah i didn't overly bother me, but I get what I get what you're saying. I think it's interesting to sort of even go down the path of not having the crawl, right? Like it's it's such a core part of Star Wars. Like I would be okay with all movies having having that vibe. Like, but yeah, I guess it's it's one of those things though that kind of like I probably upsets people from the start. And like there's something in this movie that again sort of like when I remember seeing it at the theatre and I was like, from the very start, I was like, I'm not sure about this um, this first bad guy, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that shortly, I guess. Yeah, no, and, it, you know, that first watch, I guess everyone has that. We don't know who Alden is. We don't know what his hand is like. And so there is that nervousness coming into it straight away. But one of the things, and I promise not to dissect every scene because this is right at the start, but there is a moment where Han... Drags, uh, drags Kira from one uh, sort of cave corridor to another and the manner in which he does it because there's people around if you watch that scene and then watch uh, how Harrison Ford does that with Leia in The Empire Strikes Back when they're in the in the caves on Hoth and the, and the body language he's using it is throughout the whole movie actually that first thing he does is the most Han Solo the most Harrison Ford if you like thing that he does and for me it sets a really great tone it was really really subtle and really well done but I, and I only really noticed it this time but I really thought he he really set that set it right off the bat it's funny again I something I didn't notice myself but now you say that that makes complete sense to me because I remember thinking in this watch like oh it's, it's quite an aggressive the way the way that he pulls her into the room and now that you've said that about Empire it's you're right like because that was sort of a quite a, a rough scene as well right yeah um but yeah that's good shout so um the they're on Corellia and uh and i guess this is this is how we're starting off there they need to they need to escape from this hellhole and um we'll come back to exactly what that hellhole is hellhole is um and what are you thinking in these first initial scenes of the the setting the the characters because you've mentioned the first bad guy wasn't quite for you 
Um, yeah, so I guess a couple of, well, I, I guess I, there's different experiences, right? There's my, I, like I have a very vivid memory of my, my movie going experience. And I guess so, you know, we, we've met Han, we, we, he's, he's with Kara and they go in and they meet uh, Proxima and, and I just remember being in there and I'm like, what the hell is this type of bad guy? <laughs> like, I feel like, are we going for some sort of, not Jabba the Hutt, but Jabba the Hutt type thing. And I was just like, this is just like some weird space librarian who's kind of all <laughs> cranky and, and lives in a a, a a muddy pool. And I just, but I, I think I've kind of come to kind of be at one with it um, over time. It's just kind of part of the, the quirky Star Wars universe. And I think what's interesting is kind of just these weird creatures in Star Wars who hold immense power over people. And Proxima is like a, I guess one of those, but I, uh, in my mind, I'm just like, how how did you come to power? Like, how have you got all these people kind of um, working for you? It's all kind of intriguing. But on this one, like, like I've seen this movie, you know, probably half a dozen times at least. It, it it doesn't bother me anywhere near as much. And I think I actually kind of I I enjoy the scene and I enjoy sort of that how that leads into the the chase sequence and the speeder and you know, and it kind of reminded me this time in that chase sequence. A little bit of the the, the much ridiculed chase sequence in um, in the book <laughs> about the fit, but, yeah. but obviously done far far better because you know it, it's a speeder chase. It's not super high speed, which is you know if you take that down a level, was like the scooter chase. Yeah. Oh, look, it's so funny because I had the same thought having you know having recently seen the book of Boba Fett. It's um it's a it's a much more satisfying chase scene, and of course it um, culminates with. Um, yes, throughout the movie, there's so many moments of that, as you alluded to at the start, that cocky hand solo type nature. And, you know, he's got this, he knows exactly what he's doing. And when he appears to be in trouble, he's like, oh, yeah, watch this. And then he, you know, flips it up onto what would essentially be two wheels and starts going through. And of course, this is, this is young hand. This is, he's not quite the, the, the guy we know from episode four onwards and it doesn't pan out that well and i just thought that was such a, a great moment i think that's one of the things about his personality right like we can probably all think of people in our lives who are like a little overly confident a little like and, that, and that's how right like he's he's always just so kind of like cocky about it and it kind of works some of the time but it, it doesn't dull his spark you know he's he's just always going for it and i think obviously um um, I'm jumping forward a little bit, so feel free to go back if, if you need to. But uh, I, I find the scene always quite intense, where they, you know, they're they're wanting to get through customs basically, and they're yeah. and and it's like it's so close. And I don't know about you, Paul, but whenever I watch movies like this, where it's always so close, I'm always like, I know it's not going to be different because it's a movie, but I'm like, if you just were like a little bit faster, yep. like this could have all been avoided. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm 100 the same, and um, it, it is a really well played out scene. That the, the the customs, as you put it, that sort of uh, that whole scene. Because there's a few things in there that I noted, like um, you can quite clearly see there's a number of stormtroopers because you know this is like like an empire recruitment zone as well. But clearly, when the pikes walk in, they're in charge. You know, they're pushing the troopers out of the way, and the troopers aren't making any sort of. They know how you know. So we've got the we talk about syndicates, the Pike Syndicate, the, the Crimson Dawn, the Hutt Cartel. 
it's really evident that these guys are in charge. You've got that wonderful moment of um, Han looking up at the at the screen where they're trying to recruit for the Empire, and they've got the the, 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 the Darth Vader Imperial March theme music playing. Um, mm-hmm. That whole scene, that whole the whole custom scene, is is a really pivotal moment in the whole movie, and it's um, yeah. And I love the door, the bribe at the door. You know, trying to get through. It's great. Uh, yeah fantastic scenes and just to sort of like diverge just for just for a second again i think this is something that star wars does really well right so in solo we've got the pikes you're watching solo like you kind of loosely know about pikes through sort of like you know maybe some of the books or some of the expanded universe stuff but like now like watching this in 2022 like we've just finished the book of boba fett which is filled with the pikes and i think star wars does a good job of kind of like here's a little bit of something and then like in a few years time here's a whole heap more of it so then when you go back and watch that content it actually feels more more rich and i don't know like i think it's a bit of a, a magic source they apply to things and i don't even know if they always know that that's what they're doing but i think they're so good at kind of building their own universe um, oh, they must know they're doing it like that's probably you know but it's just interesting yeah oh it is that 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 rich flavor that they add um in so many things makes yeah you know, we've just experienced that recently having watched the the, the prequel trilogy and i the, the example i always think of is the the sand people the, the tuscan raiders and every time i see them there and in, in, in attack of the clones for example i always think a little bit more about their tribe and and who they are as as a people and as a culture because of the the tim morrison scenes that he did fantastically with them in, in boba fett um so just quickly then han solo what how did he get that name he's applying for the empire job because he needs a way out of there he's like he looks up and thinks this is a way out for me um and we'll talk about the empire bit in a bit because that is also fascinating but i haven't got any people what's your last name and so this random guy who looks like he really hates his job is just like han solo what do you think about that i think it's funny because i during the scene i was thinking to myself if i was that guard and i was processing his application would i have come up with the word solo like i would have been like an individual Loner. Um, single. And no mates. Like, I, I, I don't know if the word solo would have come to mind. And it's brilliant, right? I think that's quite a, it's quite a cool way to do it. Yeah, I, I have no problem with it as well. It's another of those things that get a, a lot of backlash. But I thought it was just a really great, great moment. And, of course, you know, we had that wonderful line from the, the, the guy processing him. says, oh, we'll have you flying in no time. And then we literally then cut to hand flying through the air in the middle of a battle. And we have the first and only, as far as I'm aware, um, three years later type um, cut in a Star Wars movie of, or even a TV series. Maybe you remember better than me, but I, I, I remember at the time thinking, wow, that's new. Well, that is a big jump. And I think can one thing that kind of always was sort of a bit like, wow, that's crazy, is he was so intent on getting Kira out of there as well. Yeah. Like three years feels like a long, long time to leave somebody. And it's never a hundred percent clear to me like how deep their relate like how romantic their relationship is and are they are they friends, are they lovers, are they what what's kind of their their story. But yeah, three years feels like a an age to have left someone behind, especially for someone like Han Solo, because I think he's so cocky and he's so kind of, you know, I want to do the right thing and I'll be damned doing it. Like I, I it makes me wonder there probably was attempts to get her back earlier than that, but just in the in the context of the story, we kind of needed the three years, I guess. Yeah, no, I think so. And um, one of the 
because you've touched on something I, I do want to explore and I, I guess I'll do it now because in these reviews I always like to ask you a question what, if you could change one thing what would it be and so I'll give you my answer now and it's actually around um, I would like to have seen more of Han and Kira at Corellia before we joined them in the movie because you get for me I get as you just said I get no sense of what their relationship actually is how close they actually are you know like you said three years is a long time but more than that I don't have a sense of danger or why this place is so bad you know because we we meet Proxima you know um, and um, and Moloch and and the guys down there it doesn't look like a nice place but I don't get enough of a sense of that and so I feel informed because I've read the book Most Wanted and I cannot recommend the book Most Wanted enough to anyone who is a fan of Solo who wants to get a bit more because that is set before this movie and it's all set on Gorilla and it's about their adventures down there and, and how badly they're treated and, and I just feel this movie could have benefited from a bit more of why this place is so bad and why why we want them to escape and what their relationship is because what you just touched on there I think is is important because yeah three years is a long time well I think if Solo was being made today to be honest with you it would probably be a 10 part Disney plus TV series and I think we would get all of the story that we kind of wanted but unfortunately I guess you know like and that's a shame it's only what five years ago four four years ago that this came out but that wasn't really a thing at that point right oh when you think about the the success of mandalorian and boba fett and we've got upcoming series of of andor uh, of obi-wan of lando this is the perfect setting for that and um but hey we'll we'll come into into that maybe later too but just to take us back to this three years later scene and they're they're in the middle of this battle on Mimban and I don't know about you but it's a very brief scene but I love that whole sort of two three minutes because it gives me a real sort of World War One type feel I think it's some terrific cinematography we've got the the ATST sort of being sort of chucked down from some sort of dropship and it's 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 a very brief moment but it's actually looks like if that scene could have been extended that would have been pretty cool yeah I think you're right like I think this scene does does really well in kind of bringing you into that world right and you it kind of reminds you that you know with the empire and this is kind of the the dawn of stormtroopers as such and we've moved away from clones and there's you know like war like war is hard and it's in like extreme conditions and it just like like it just like it feels dirty right because everyone's wearing these like big bits of armor they're soaking wet they're covered in mud and it's you know though we're we're sort of living in a a futuristic world it's still very gritty yeah oh it's so gritty and it's all of those things you just said are just so so wonderfully portrayed in that moment and just everything about Han's face is like what am I doing here how did I possibly end up here and I would love to see, a, again, another book or a comic or something to explore those three years as Han. Because I just always forget that Han was actually in the Empire. And it's uh, that is a fascinating plot point because it's clear when he's talking to the, the majors and the generals and the lieutenants that he clearly has an issue with what they're doing. You know, like, we're the hostiles here. And, and so just to jump forward a bit, it always amazes me a little bit in sort of... I don't know. Well, I guess a new hope when he's kind of like, yeah, now this isn't for me. I'm. I'll see you later. And it's kind of like you'd think he would have a, a little bit more empathy, perhaps. 
Well, I think that's almost the most fascinating time period for me because, and this is jumping ahead too, is like I feel like, you know, I, I, I completely resonate with this younger Han Solo, but I feel like some stuff has happened between Han Solo, between a solo movie and A New Hope because yeah. I think that Han is he's far more sort of like gruff and grumpier and kind of like fatigued at it all. So maybe that sort of relentless optimism kind of wears thin when you're you're living this sort of hard life as a smuggler. Yeah, oh, there's, oh you're so right. There's definitely something else going on in between those movies. And unless we sort of see it, in the Obi-Wan series or Lando series or I, I don't know because we don't see it in Rogue One suddenly we just you know the next time we see him of course is A New Hope but yeah there's something going on and I think it would be fascinating to to explore um, but once he gets sort of found out for who he is and that he's not really interested um, he's you know he's he's kind of um, chucked into a cave but before he gets chucked in to meet the beast we meet Beckett and his team Um and this is another really um, strong moment for me in terms of um, story because when I when I saw Woody Harrelson was um, uh, cast, I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I love Woody Harrelson, you know, but do I want him in Star Wars? He's a real treat for me as Beckett in this movie, Dan. I 100% agree. I I was the same. I was like, oh. Uh, like I kind of think of Woody Harrelson as I don't know why, but I kind of I'm pretty locked into him as like Woody from Cheers, and I know that um, he's done a lot of like great and serious movies since then. But I'm just ne- I'm, I'm never too sure. But I, I I agree with you. I think his whole crew, uh, like Beckett, Val, um, who's the guy with the arms? I Oh, Rio, 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 like like such a a fantastic little crew and i just love their their banter and their their vibe between one another and the fact that they're kind of interested in han but they're like they're not sure um and it's i think it's just a great dynamic and that that works really well yeah it's quite a star-studded cast when you think about it oh yeah and john favreau is the voice of rio is um you know it's always a treat you know knowing because i've talked about how you know we've both talked about how how great he is as a a writer and director on the rest of it but he's got such a great voice as rio but i love all of those uh all of the people in that gang and i love the dynamics of thinking yeah actually we could kind of use him but you know what we're kind of we're kind of a fab four here. We don't need anyone else. And um I, I love all of that. And of course when Hans pushes his luck too far, because again he hasn't quite got his, his things down pat, Beckett is is a bit wiser than him and you know, chucks him in the deep end and has him thrown down into that um underground prison type thing to mm. to meet to meet the beast. And I always think everyone going into that scene knows exactly who the beast is but for for anyone who's new to star wars it must be kind of like what's going to happen here is this a rancor type situation i i love his first introduction to to chewy and my my love for chewbacca just gets deeper and deeper all the time i think he's such a, a wonderful character and i just love whenever he appears like when we've seen him in you know a lot through the the clone wars and stuff like that. and it's it's just kind of like like Wookiees lived to such a an old age, right? Like it was about four hundred or something, I think. So Chewbacca's still fairly young in the sort of sense of the movie, and it's I just kind of like the way that like you know you you can't really tell Chewbacca's age. Like maybe he's a little bit grayer, particularly in some of the in the you know the Force Awakens and stuff like that. But they do quite a good job of sort of making him look younger, even or sort of more slight, even though he's 
you know, it's, the difference might be minimal. That's a really good show. I had not contemplated that. But as you were talking, I was just looking through the photos. And you're right. There's sort of like a lightness to his hair or more. It's, it's maybe it's in better condition. And there's a, I, I, I see what you mean. It's, I'd, I'd never thought about that before. But I think you're 100% on the money. And I guess one of the, the interesting thing about uh, Han and Chewie's first, Chewbacca's first meeting is that, you know, it starts with actually a, a fight between the two characters. And even more interesting is that Han, you know, he's pinned to the ground, he's been thrown around the, the, the mud pit a little bit more, and he sort of gargles this, um, this, this weird sound, which actually turns out to be a little bit of Wookiee. And that is enough for him to sort of start the, the lifelong friendship that, um, himself and, and Chewie have, which is, which, you know, is, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of great in a Star Wars context. Yeah. Oh, look, I have a few thoughts about this particular scene because he's, he's lucky to get the chance to speak a little bit of Kashyyyk because, the way we see Chewie later in the movie pulling people's arms out of their sockets, which has always been famously talked about, um, he could easily have been wiped out pretty early, but he wasn't. And I love that because he understands a bit of Kashyyyk, Chewie's kind of like, oh, do you know what? I think, uh, I think, uh, I think I'll let you live. And, and that's the bit that I want to touch on because we know and love Chewbacca throughout the course of Star Wars throughout. But actually, let's just pretend that Han didn't speak Kashyyyk. What's Chewie's beef with the people that are being thrown into the cell with him? Why is he just instantly starting to smash people up? Well, I guess it's because he's hungry, right? And the, the guards talk about at the top that they haven't fed him for three days. And that um, I, I, it's probably purely just a, if you want to eat, this is, you're eating prisoners. Okay. So, okay. I hadn't. Yeah I, yeah, I guess I heard them say that. But in my mind, I thought, oh, no. Surely he's not going to eat people, but yeah, yeah I think it, I think I'm a bit naive here. I think you're right. It's a good call though because I think, you know, Chewbacca has been around a lot longer than the the solo movie and and the Star Wars stuff that we've seen. And Chewbacca is you know is a fairly friendly Wookiee when it comes to comes to the Wookies, and I don't think his default position would be to come in angry. Like he's he's always pretty, like he seems like a a good guy. Yeah, no, true. And I apologise for calling it Kashyyyk. It's actually Shiriwook is the official name of the uh, of the language of the of the Wookiees. But um, it's a, it is a really great scene. The whole thing, and even just like the way he just chucks him out when they sort of, uh, you know, when the stormtroopers fall down. And you know what I tell you when you listen to me. Good things. It's kind of like straight away the banter is there, and the start of that relationship um, begins. And then, of course, they eventually jump onto the the ship and they're on their way and sort of at no point going forward is there any doubt that it's always going to be Han and Chewie like it's always like I love that I love that for them I love that they're a combo and it's like it it kind of makes what happens in the the latest Star Wars movies even more sad um but yeah we'll we'll get to that in in future episodes I imagine but yeah this is uh now we're, I guess we're jumping forward a bit where I guess Beckett and his crew decide sort of at the last minute that they will take on, on Han and Chewie and they basically end up joining the heist crew. Yeah. Was it Rio Sesson? Like, I, I don't care what anyone thinks. I like this guy. And it's, it's kind of like he's the audience in that respect. We're all starting to, to, to come to love Han. And then we're, as you say, we're off for this, this train heist. Um, I have a lot of questions about why this train railroad exists in these particular mountains and the effort it would have taken from a 
construction perspective to actually build this train track but that's that's obviously one of one of the wonderful things about Star Wars is we don't have to know about that but this train heist scene I just think it's absolutely fantastic from an action scene I think the music which I want to touch on more broadly for this movie I think the music for the train heist is fantastic as well it's a real adrenaline scene and of course you know throughout the course of the scene we actually know so Thandi Newton is playing Val um, and you know, I'm quite enjoying her character. We lose her really early in this movie. Yeah, almost kind of surprising, right? Like we we lose. Also, we lose Rio, Rio as well, and yeah. it's um, and it's it's kind of a shame because I I really warmed to them, and when I wasn't expecting to, and it's um, like it, I guess it, it helps from a plot point of view to move some things th- um, forward, but it's. It kind of would have been great to have them still kicking around the Star Wars universe. Yeah, oh, it would be. And I think the warming to them, I think, for me, that sort of comes around from the... There's this, that scene where they're sort of sitting around a campfire and just sort of having a bite to eat and planning what they're going to do. And there's some... Yeah, you know, we sort of... People drop their guards a little and it, it's... But it is a shock. And, and Rio as well, you know, is, is, a, is a real shame. But, of course, the outcome of all that is that the... Um, what are we calling the coaxium... The container gets dropped because both neither neither side will will give in Emphis Nest, but it's not actually Emphis Nest that we're working for here. We're actually working. We discover we're working for Crimson Dawn, and at this point, I'm like, I have no idea who that is. I'm not. I'm not bothered. What sort of Dawn is this? I don't care. But we know now. We know now what it is. Indeed. I just want to go back to one of your comments you made earlier around some of the weird and wonderful things that happen in Star Wars. So the, the, the train is a great example, right? Like, why don't we just, like, we've got spaceships. Why don't we pick stuff up Correct. closer to the drop point? And it's the same in The Mandalorian, right? When And I think it's like episode two or three where uh, The Mandalorian and I forget the other guy's name, they ride those little dewback things <laughs> yes. through, the, through the, and it's like, like the only way to get there is via these creatures and it's like they get there and it's a big open space and a bar like you literally could have rolled up on your ship even though they would have seen you coming and probably been you know just as well off don't ask questions Dan. don't go looking under rocks yeah, yeah don't don't ask questions that's that's the key to all of this stuff and i think again the train sequence is awesome right so i i, I wouldn't change any of it beckett at this but, um, oh sorry no, no, no. So yeah, no. I was going to, I was going to jump us back forward to, to Crimson Dawn. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so, so, so Crimson Dawn. We're going to discover a, a really scary outfit. You know, they're they're right up there. I think um, Beckett is an interesting character throughout this movie. And you know, do you like him? Do you hate him? Whatever. At this point, I really feel Beckett's a really decent guy because he actually says, despite the fact that he's just lost Val, and he holds in some respect maybe hand responsible for for a number of things he actually says you know they don't know you if they see you you're in this for life um he's sort of basically saying just just walk away man and hands like you know hands showing his decency as well saying no no you know i'm i'm here for it and so at this point i'm standing think do you know what beckett i think you're a good guy Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the other thing, obviously, the the other big moment when we we go into the the Crimson Dawn sort of it's like a sail ship, isn't it? Like it's very sort of a luxurious yacht, kind of space yacht, and obviously we get uh, Kira reuniting with Han as well, which is uh, like 
kind of like like inter- like at the time I was like oh okay oh she's ended up here that's that's interesting and the game makes me like I want to know the full career backstory I want to know how you have gone from uh, kind of working for Proxima to now you're you know pretty high up there in Crimson Dawn and there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on with like tell me the story I need to know yeah and she's so elusive around the whole you know point you know he's like i was going to come back and save you and she's like well no you don't need to you know i'm i'm right here and they're like don't don't, don't worry about the details don't ask any questions don't look under any rocks i'm I'm here now and it, look it's almost like she's saying it in a way that's making me want to ask the questions right because she's like don't worry about it it's fun it's fun you know like i'm okay you, you know what it's, when someone says to you they're fine paul they're not fine yeah so or someone, we all says, know. someone says don't worry about it i'm instantly more worried i'm worried <laughs> it's 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 yeah. very true um uh Dryden Voss, um, so it's uh, the, the yacht is called the First Light. It's a really intriguing design in terms of how vertical this this thing is. Um, and so they walk in and Becca's like, don't talk to anyone. And we, we need to talk to Dryden Voss. And there's that great line, oh, yes, uh, Dryden, he's just finishing with the regional governor. And again, going back to that whole who's actually in charge here, you know, we see this imperial regional governor being knifed by Dryden Voss uh, in front of other Imperials. So again, where does the power sit in the in the Outer Rim? It's it's with these syndicates. Look, the Star Wars universe is huge, Paul, and there's there's so many like stories to tell us in there. Like there's just so many big uh, so much infrastructure and these these like entities that are kind of at war with one another that, you know, no wonder people are like what's a Jedi, you know, because everyone's got their own, their own woes in the world and it's, it all feels huge. Fun fact, Dan, just because you mentioned the word, this is the only movie at the time of recording that throughout the course of it, we do not hear the word or see Jedi at no point, mm. only ever movie. Um, but yeah, massive world, so much going on. There's so much in the syndicate space, in the Crimson Dawn, in the Pike syndicate space that I would love to explore. I feel like there is a series to explore. And I think that was one of the first series George Lucas was ever talking about was that underworld type sort of, I think there's a, there's a lot to be talked about here. We've still got Chewie and Han um, forming that great relationship. There's so much great banter. There's so many great one-liners. One of those like where, yeah, you know, Chewie's talking to him because we never understand what Chewie's saying. We always rely on Han's sort of um, response, and when he's like "You're touchy," you know, it's it's just there's so much, um, so much uh, wonderful emotion in those scenes. I love it. Well, I think you know, again, when you think about like Chewbacca and R two, right? Like, there's yes, we d- we don't understand beeps and we don't understand growls, but again, they do something magical where we understand beeps and growls. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah, actually, it's funny because it did remind me a bit of the Luke R2 um, rapport, particularly in The Last Jedi, which which eventually we'll come to. Um, where are we, Dan? So, okay, so Dryden, Dryden is basically, okay, you know, he's, he's such a, I think um, he does such a wonderful, a wonderful job with this character. Uh, I'm struggling now to... Paul Bettany, of course, Paul Bettany. He does such a wonderful job with this character of making him feel like he is the nicest guy. You know, he comes up, he's got his arm around, he goes, how are you? Are you okay? You know, and then when they've... You know, then he's got a gun at someone's head and then they work out a plan. He goes, I feel great about this. We should do this again sometime. He's got such a wonderful mannerism where he goes from being basically, I've got no option but to kill you to, this is great. Everything's working out. He's, he's fantastic. And... Um, yeah, I really enjoy that whole setup and how Han tries to act like the big I am in that scene to basically impress Kira, but also he doesn't quite know what he's doing yet, does he? 
Oh, he's definitely out of his league. And because this is sort of really driving us towards our, our next big moment in, in Solo, I guess, which is around going to going to the mine where we meet um, more more Wookiees. Yeah. Oh, and we need a ship to get there as well, Dan. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. So um, this, is, this is interesting, right? Because now sort of Kira's joining the mission. And we're we're off to meet Lando, and we've always kind of known Lando's a bit of a, uh, I don't know if I want to use the word ladies' man, but like he's he's a real prestigious, he's a re- prestigious. He's a flirt, like he's 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 as confident, oozing kind of, I don't know this sort of some some sort of vibe, and it's it's so just sort of interesting that that him and Han right from the start have this kind of we're kind of alike but we don't like each other but we could be friends like vibe between them it's a, it's a great back and forth between them and what you've just said sums it up perfectly you know like Han is trying to play him by like is this Sabak and you know Lando's like Sabak and so then he returns the favor which then later explains why Lando Carizian calls him Han in the Empire Strikes Back he says okay Han and he goes actually it's Han you know there's straight away they're trying to outdo each other Lando's the cool dude though there's no one cooler he's got the cape he's got the look he's got the charisma he's got the voice um (laughs) he does such a good job of the voice doesn't he Donald Glover has this on lock and I it's it's so good apparently they made about 30 different capes for lando and to, you know because there's that scene in the falcon yes where they, they all the all the capes are hanging up and kira's actually trying one on and it's like why wouldn't you like if you're going to be a space pirate and you're going to be a bit eccentric and a bit kind of like i'm the guy bring on a cape i appreciate that it's it's a wonderful thing the cape and traditionally i only think of you know that the Camp Dooku types, but of course, Lando was the first person we really saw with a cape in Empire Strikes Back, and we didn't even, I don't know about you, I mean, I guess we were kids at the time, I didn't no even, no questions were asked, no questions were asked, why is this guy wearing a cape? No, he's, he's wearing a cape, and that's the way it is, and mm. it's fine, you know, if you walk into your workplace down with a cape, are people going to ask questions? They would definitely ask questions, but I'll tell you something, where Samara works, there's somebody who wears a cape, <laughs> and, and like, like, not even ironically, like, they wear a cape, and I'm like, that's awesome like and they get lots of compliments on it and apparently it's a good thing that is amazing i I, i'm now gonna need to see uh photos of this um where are we going from here okay so um the 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 card battle you know to try and get the ship and of course as you've said before han is still a little bit out of his league he doesn't quite know what he's getting himself in for um another line that really resonated with me was like um, when Lando's like, where's your ship? And Han's like, I don't have it with me, which is the exact line he uses with Greedo when Greedo's like, you know, where's the money for Jabba? I don't have it with me. It's um, it's little moments like that, just little nods I love. Mm, no, definitely. And I think um, what's interesting is, you know, when we see the Falcon for the first time, it's obviously the Falcon, but it's a, it's a little bit different. It's got that uh, that front piece on the ship. It looks a little bit heavier, but it's also very brand new on the inside. And, you know, this is the first time we've, in my sort of view, where we see the Falcon looking so, like, it looks like a brand new car on the inside. Like all the walls are white, like it's all very plush. And I think most of the time, from the moment that Han, Han's involved with the uh, the Millennium Falcon, it basically turns into a bucket of bolts, right? Like it's, it's, 
it goes downhill from there. Oh, it, it gets the miles up on it. It really does. In fact, yeah, by by the end of this movie, you're right. It's sort of like looking more like we know it. But when we first see it, it's pristine. It's still got the escape pod at the front. Everyone's looking at why does the front of the ship look weird to me? And we'll, we'll you know we find out as the movie goes on. The the way the camera pans out to the Falcon, the music, the the John Powell score to this is this is fantastic. It's the first time he uses the classic John Williams Star Wars theme. It's the first time we hear it in this movie is as we see the Falcon, and I think that is uh, you know the the best possible use of it because it is it is a wonderful moment. I mean, the Falcon is is legendary. When I think of the Falcon, I always think of the Force Awakens trailer. You know that first teaser trailer when we mm-hmm. first see the Falcon. It's so, it's so important to the fabric of the universe. So quite right, they make a, a big deal of it. Interesting bit of trivia for you, Paul. Is the Falcon used in Solo is the same Falcon that they used in the Force Awakens? Well, I guess that makes sense because it's been filmed at the same time. But I'd never put those two things together because it looks so different because it's so pristine. Indeed, indeed. But just a little bit of nice. uh, information. Hmm. Uh, also, nice little bit of trivia for the the Clone Wars fan. Beckett makes Lando, and he goes, "Ah, you're the guy who killed Aura Singh." And he's like, "Well, I'm, I pushed her. I'm pretty sure it's the gravity that killed her." I, I, I so good. I, I I love that scene. And I again, I just what I my favorite thing in Star Wars is kind of the characters we know the least about. And Aura Singh we know a little bit about from the Clone Wars, but she's always just I my biggest memories of Aura Singh are actually from one of those like the costumes of Star Wars books and seeing her in that book and it's kind of like that just these intriguing kind of creatures and Aura Singh's in that category for me. I always hope we get to see that scene scene play out. Uh so now we're gonna bring in another relatively big character to the movie and the reason I use big characters because in my mind I always thought she was quite prominent and it's voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and that's L3 but just quickly jumping ahead Dan we actually by the time she comes in and then leaves she's actually only in the movie for 26 minutes it's a short time it's amazing isn't it because in my mind it always feels like she's in it for, for so much longer but yeah we we meet Lando's uh, droid and I guess ultimately the the brain navic computer of what ultimately is the Falcon. Yeah, and I think again, like some of the best relationships uh, in Star Wars are with droids, right? And I think uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as L three or L three three seven, which you know, in sort of new terms or gaming terms, you might describe that as Elite, which is short for Elite, and it's 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 kind of cool, oh, yeah. and it's just her her banter and her, you know, I me and Lando have got something sort of special going on and it can never be and I'm just like you Kara and like there's so many there's so many good scenes but uh, along with that also super smart right the so so critical to the to the mission ahead so critical I mean there's no way they're getting out of the situation that's in front of them with without without her without her her brain and and it's kind of a it's a nice moment in terms of thinking of the sense of the longevity of her character is that she in some way exists throughout all the way through to the last time we see the falcon and the rise of skywalker she she is she is there and it's it's nicely done i I do quite like it and as we alluded to at the the start of the podcast when the falcon first goes to light speed and they've got that double double thrust and the, the 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 salute it's I I think that's mandatory every time you go to light speed unless you're in a critical you know battle situation you should be doing it every time and just the way the camera pans back onto Han's face and he's in that cockpit he's 
he loves this shit right from the start. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. It's um, it's so good. It's such a there's so many just like these sort of wonderful special moments, and it's it's only when you kind of sit back and start to think about how well these are actually paired with the other films and the other and the other things that these characters have done forty years ago in some cases that it it, it all just works so well. And I, I guess for people like you and I, Paul, it makes us appreciate the films even more as opposed to sort of pick all these sort of big holes in it. Yeah, oh, exactly. I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at the, the bits that are uh, reminiscent, as you say, 40 years on, like the, the 3D chessboard game, whatever that game is, you know, and sort of seeing Chewie at that point, you know, really just, he, he clearly has never mastered this game because he's, every time we see him, he's always getting um, uh, get beaten at the the hologra- holographic game, but it's, it's a nice moment. Um, and... It's at this point that we see a little bit more of the hand care relationship and we get a bit more understanding of, of, of what they are actually around. And again, it's Beckett who's sort of that, I don't want to use the word father figure, but he's he's basically, he sees through her. He sees that there's more to it. He's not as naive as Han. And he's like, maybe you don't know her well enough. And that's, he's right, you know, because Crimson Dawn has more of more of a grip of, of her and everything else than, than even the Empire did of Han. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think, well, I guess the thing is for Beckett, right? Like he's been in this business a long time and he's probably kind of seen numerous uh, events where Dryden Voss has, you know, kind of pulled out his vibro dagger and gone to work on someone who's displeased him. Yeah, that dagger is is lethal. It's a, it's a great look. And I'd love to see it go up against a lightsaber just to see how much that... Because I feel like it would just get sliced in half, but um, it's a really good look. Well, I don't know. Like, you know, vibro, if it is sort of a, a vibro weapon, which, you know, if I didn't even maybe one Google search, I'd probably be able to verify that. Um, you know, that's, that is definitely a weapon that could go up against a lightsaber. The, the, the challenge would be is kind of the, it feels like a weapon of sort of like a stealthy type rogue as opposed to a weapon that you might want to enter sort of a, a full combat with a, anyway, we diverge. We're off to the mining colony, as you, as you talked about before, and um, this whole place has got a real, you know, th- this this we we get to really hear what the hear and see what the pikes are like, and they sort of set up this this um, this sort of ruse, I guess, um, that Kira is bringing in Han and Chewie as slave labor and there's some nice moments about you know how she's how she's treating him and, and punching him and the way that plays out we've got um beckett dressed up in disguise which ultimately ends up being lando's disguise from return of the jedi um if because i've been really praising this movie quite a lot if there is a point where i think maybe it dips a little and maybe they could have sped things up a little for me maybe it is the the mining colony and all the the, the freeing of the droids and, and and all that what do you think yeah no i agree because i think this is actually a star wars movie with like many large set piece scenes and it's almost like at times and i don't really want to say this about a star wars um movie but maybe it could have been sort of tightened up a little bit because it it does kind of I don't know, drag might be too much of a of a strong word, but it, it does feel a little bit longer than it maybe needs to be, considering we've still got like another big section of the movie to go. Oh, we do indeed. And when I'm watching this on a rewatch, 
and when I feel myself thinking, I just want to get them back in the Falcon, trying to escape the the, the maelstrom. I'm waiting for that scene because realistically, they could have come in very quickly, stolen the coaxium with, without any real bother. They could have done a real quick undercover mission and had it back in the boot of the Falcon and be on their way because there's enough action going forward from the scene. But instead, we we do get this this scene. The one thing that comes out of this scene for me that I find is I don't know if I'll say important, but it's significant and it plays a part, is whilst we're there, during all this chaos, Chewie sees some Wookiees who are uh, slaves. And so he basically says, look, I know I'm with you on this mission, but hey, I I need to help my brothers out. I need to go and sort this out. And they say goodbye, potentially forever, because, you know, Han's like, oh, I hope, hope I see you around sometime. And so that's an important moment because ultimately Chewie does come back. Well, I think you're right. Like That is one of the defining moments, and I think what cements Chewie's loyalty. Um, I think w- without that moment, like that, uh, it might have been a bit more questionable about why they've just decided to stick together. I'll tell you one thing that bothers me in this mining scene with the other Wookiees, is I feel like the other Wookiees are not to the same quality of Chewbacca. Yeah. And I feel like they're a bit kind of scrappy. They, to me, are the... You know, in The Walking Dead, when we've kind of got some of the walkers who are, you know, you're a bit more in the distance, you maybe don't need quite the level of effect and makeup. I don't know, maybe it's maybe I'm being hard on them because these walkies have been in captivity, they've been enslaved, and, like, they've had it rough. But it, it's really glaringly obvious to me that you're kind of like a, a B-tier walkie. Oh, you're right on the money. When we think about, um, you know, The Revenge of the Sith had that great scene with with Kashyyyk and, and they got the the Wookiee look perfectly in that we've got um you know big big Santi in in the book of Boba Fett with a great look as well this this is a, a subpar look for for a Wookiee so you're, you're you're quite right it doesn't it just doesn't feel right but um it is an important scene uh, it doesn't bother me too much but yeah I'm I'm just wanting to wind it forward because even now as I'm talking to you now I, I'm just thinking I, I just want to start talking about the 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 escape completing the castle run using L3's um you know yeah. nav, nav computer in, in the Falcon and actually um trying to get out but in the way there's an Imperial Star Destroyer, um, but we don't need to worry because, as Han quite rightly says, you know they're not going to waste any time sending Tie Fighters over after. And again, he, he's made the wrong call, and the, the fighters are on their way. He's overly confident, Paul. That's his problem. <laughs> yes, don't go Anakin on me. Um, yep. It's it is a it's a great moment. It's um, for me. There's there's also the moment where the you know they're like we've got to get out of here and. Chewie starts flicking buttons and Han's like, since when do you know how to fly? And then Chewie ra- growls and he's like, 190 years old, you look great. And Kira's like, pulls his chair back and like, get in. And that is another wonderful moment. Han and Chewie in the in the cockpit together. Another musical, wonderful moment. I can't praise the music enough, Dan. I own all of the Star Wars movie soundtracks and the John Powell theme for solo probably gets played more than any other which is a tribute to you know because john williams is the king and i know he's using a lot of the john williams themes there's a track there if you ever find it called reminiscence therapy it's this whole scene as they're escaping and you've got the the asteroid field moment you've got the here they come music from a new hope it is really worth listening to reminiscence therapy as a, a track 
from this whole scene. This whole scene for me is the best of the whole movie, This Escape. I'm, I'm literally just Googling it now and I'll, after this podcast, Paul, I'm going to play it just for old time's sake. It's even better to listen to whilst you're traveling in a vehicle, if you're going around some good corners, maybe if you're on a motorcycle or something, going at good speed, it's it's, it's a wonderful thing to listen to. Well, I think what I'm going to implement in my life now, Paul, and it's 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 a shame we, you know, we don't really have manual vehicles so much in, in this day and age, unfortunately, but like whenever I put the car into... I don't know, drive or maybe into like, you know, second speed. I'm going to, if there's a passenger with me, I'm going to insist we do it together from now on and we do the salute and then we'll, we'll hit the soundtrack. It'll be a wonderful moment. There are a number of times when I'm in the car with my 12 year old son where there is, I'm going to make the jump to light speed or I don't, there's all sorts of Batmobile. It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's mandatory. It's mandatory. It is an incredible escape scene. I love some of the moves he tries to, to pull off. And um, and then what is this this creature in the moor? It's like that is a terrifying creature. How does it even exist in the vacuum of space? I've always wondered. Again, let's not ask too many questions. It's really scary. Indeed, I think this is another one of those moments which is uh, like great in the wider Star Wars context. But I think in the terms of Solo, like there's just so many of these constant kind of disastrous moments, right? And it's. It's almost like there's too many of them, and it's and it's like a, you know, you talked earlier about what would you change. It's almost like I'd like to get probably a bit tighter on some of those sort of core bits throughout this movie, and kind of give us a bit more rather than just add in another and another and another. Yeah. It feels a bit like when you're playing a video game and you you know you're climbing out of something, then the floor collapses, then there's a fire, then there's like a boulder rolling down the hill, and like it's always just chaotic. And I think. Actually, what people were looking for in this movie is they want that character development. Like they want to spend time with the Falcon. They want the Han and Chewie. They want the the Lando. They want they they want to embrace these characters and spending more time with them probably could have been quite good. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. And you know, if we cut some of the scenes from maybe the the mining bit we just talked about, maybe we could have added in some of that. Maybe we could have got a little bit more. Maybe we could have got a bit more at the start of the movie, which I was looking for. You know, on on Corellia, but um. Um, as a fan then of the, the 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 Fast and the Furious, you must have loved the idea of the 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 nitrous oxide coaxium boost. You know, just sort of like give a bit of an injection and you just boost out of there. It's it's incredible. I've never made that connection, Paul. But wow. it's important when dealing with NOS that you, you don't want to oh, hit it NOS. too soon. NOS, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't do it too soon because you only get one burst, right? That's right. That's right. Um, I, lo- I love that. Uh, I love that escape. And then, of course, they come flying into Savarine, um, and they're on the radio. We're coming in hot, and they literally do, and he just crash lands that ship. And then there's the wonderful moment of Han and Lando looking at it, and Lando's "I hate you," and then Han is "I know." <laughs> so good. That, that this is another like great scene, but it's like I think as a I remember the first time watching it, like, I'm like, oh, God, like, we're into, like, another kind of, like, place. Like, it's 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 a lot. But I think this is kind of an interesting scene, right, because this is where, really where the movie kind of, like, comes to a head. And just interesting, like, you know, this is the only place they can process it. It's got to be done quick. <laughs> yes, right. It's like a junky old sort of, like, camp town. It's, 
it's interesting. I'm expecting them to have to go to somewhere like Camino, you know, nice, clean facilities, very pristine, look like they're ready to to process a really dangerous. But it, I don't expect it to be turning up in the middle of what is essentially, if we're, you know, it looks like Tatooine, right? For me, it looks very much like the same sort of. Um, I, I I do feel just as another brief criticism that Star Wars needs to stay away from planets that are full of sand I and we'll talk about that in The Force Awakens as well because they, they do it again I just feel like sand is Tatooine if we see sand we think Tatooine let's not go mm-hmm. to places with 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 sand um, and of course they they think they've done it we're about to celebrate but their Emphis Nest who at this point were like ah oh, these are the big bads have, have, have caught them as it were but again, Han has a great idea. He's like, you better be careful because there's a ship over there with a whole bunch of hard guns. And if I just go like that, you're in trouble. And of course, Lando takes off in the Falcon and just runs away. It's it's possibly Han's biggest sort of stuff up in terms of trying to show who how good he is. And maybe this is where um, Han's sort of grizzledness comes from, is that he's actually just been like, he's so op. He's so positively optimistic all the time, and he's yet constantly let down. Maybe that's why he just he just snaps one day, and he's like, I hate everyone. I don't want to help anyone. I'm only doing it for profit. Uh, you're annoying to me. So uh, and maybe this is just sort of a, you know, the next 10 years of him just actually having a bad experience. Yeah, I think this is this is the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, yeah, maybe that's a, that's a good way of looking at it, because he's like, do you know what? That's it. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I don't do this anymore. Yeah. And so another crucial moment here is, um, so this is uh, Emphis Ness and the, the Cloud Riders, as they're, as they're called. Um, the, the helmet comes off and reveals to be a, a young human girl, and they go inside and have a drink. And we basically are finding out that these guys are the good guys, and they're actually about starting a rebellion. Yeah, it, it- it's and this is another like you know like I'm I'm deeply interested in these characters. I'm deeply interested in their perspective on uh, the part of the rebellion that they're leading. But again, unfortunately, like we don't really have enough time with them to kind of build up this sort of sense of trust. And yet, it all kind of very quickly. Okay, you guys seem like you said you're the good guys. Let's go with it. Yeah. And it, there's, there's a real high amount of trust for the amount of screen time they actually get together. Yeah. Oh, there is. There's a there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of things we don't see, and that's one of them. And I think we do need to see more of that. And the other thing that we don't see, which of course is deliberate, is the plan that they set into motion around what they're going to do when Dryden Voss inevitably comes looking for the coaxium. Because of course, let's not forget that is the what's behind all of this. Why they've gone on this whole mission and, and risked everything and lost so many people. Um, and so. Obviously, there's multiple plans and double crossings going on because we discover that. Um, it's but the the emphasis nest part is a really interesting thing. I feel like there's more to discover there. I feel there's a comic book or a book there, something to sort of dive into it. We've got Warwick Davis, who's who's part of that crew. Um, that means he's now been involved in ten Star Wars um, project. He's fun fact on Warwick Davis. He is the highest grossing supporting actor of all time ahead of any actor you care to name in the history of hollywood in terms of supporting actors he's pulled in the he's been associated with the most money um that is a real wormhole to go down dryden voss turns back up and again i just love this paul bettany 
like I'm your best mate, you know, like when they, they walk in, he's got his arms up. What did I tell you? You're my guy. Oh, you lost. Oh, did Beckett get killed? Oh, how, how are you holding up? You know, he's got his arm around him. He's, I love this manner of Dryden Voss. I think it's brilliant. He's good. He, he's like, he's the dream manager. Right? Like he's, <laughs> yes. he's, he's all care, but you know, then he's like, you don't want to disappoint him, you know? Yeah. So it's, I think he, he plays that, that role really well. And I guess what's kind of, we, we're heading towards here, right? Is kind of the, the the fight between Kira, um, Voss, and and Han. Yeah, really interesting because because um, we we know, or most Star Wars fans will know at this point that obviously Han and Kira don't end up together. That's that's mm. I think well established for the the whole world. Um, so at this point, you're you're thinking. You, you don't trust it. We know that there's the, uh, that originally her heart was with, with Han, but something's changed. She's got the she wears the branch. You know, she's got the Yellowstone branch. She's she's loyal to the to the ranch of of Crimson Dawn, and and so when it comes to that moment, we also know that obviously Han survives. So so there's a lot of things we know going into that scene. But I thought they played it out. I, I think they played that scene out as well as it could possibly have gone. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I think there was there was kind of almost some givens in there, wasn't there, going in, into it. And I, I kind of enjoyed the the fact that even up until that point, like, you didn't really know where Kira's allegiance kind of sat. And it, like we, apart from knowing that Ham was going to get out of this in, in some way, it was it was a good sort of, like, double cross and sort of the... Yeah, was, I think it was just a well a well played out scene and, and a great sort of twist at the end when when Kara obviously gets the the upper hand on Dryden. Yeah, I mean, it's a there's a double cross, there's a, there's a triple cross, and and as as if we sort of think about Kara leaving with the with the with the yacht, um, just to quickly finish off that sort of side of the conversation, there's um, there's a moment where she says, "Oh, you go." I'll be right behind you. And it's kind of like, I'm still unclear at this point, and maybe I'm naive, mm. I don't know. I'm still unclear as to whether she's leaving him and sort of double-crossing him because she wants the money, or if she's actually, I really care about you and I don't want you caught up in this anymore, and I'm I'm going to I'm gonna sacrifice my my potential happiness with you. I'm going to leave you and, and, and fly away. I, I'm never sure. I think it's the letter for me. I, I think this is Kira sort of making the call that, I don't want you caught up in this in this lifestyle, particularly when you think about the the next big reveal. This is, you know, I think if if Han had sort of stayed involved at this point, uh, he might have met his uh, doom much earlier, because I, I I like to think of it as her looking out for him, even though it's kind of unfortunate. Because again, you've got relentlessly optimistic, positive Han, and he's. Um, Again, someone's kind of like leaving him, and, and, and you know he's constantly being let down through his life. When you think about it, in fact, the, the more we've talked about him in this podcast, yep. I can actually see why he's actually like if this, yeah. if everyone. I, I think you know? you're right. I think you've convinced me actually through the course of this podcast. There is so much there, and you know with Beckett as well, who we thought he trusted. You know, he gets. This is why I was talking about uh, at the start of the movie. I was thinking, oh no, Beckett's a good guy because clearly at the end he's double crossed him, and um, and so for. For Han to, to to kill Beckett is quite a significant moment, but he knows he had to do that. And uh, Beckett's last words were, "You know, I, I would have killed you. You know, you, for once you did the right mm-hmm. thing." Mm-hmm. And and so it's a necessary thing. And and then we come, of course, to another massive reveal 
and I'll never forget this in the in the cinema, thinking, oh, who is behind Crimson Dawn? Who could it possibly be? I remember being blown away. I didn't have any spoilers or any sort of inkling. Amazing. Darth Maul. Same here, Paul. Like, it was kind of like, I, I just remember as soon as the camera, even though it was on holograms, started kind of like panning round and you sort of see these mechanical legs and you're like, it starts panning up and then like you kind of, you hear Ray Park's voice and it's like, no, no, surely, surely not. And it was, again, this is like what, a 30 second clip in a, what is this movie, two hours and 15 minutes and so memorable and so huge. Like there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of like Darth Maul from Solo toys that actually like even in collectibles that exist and it's like such a small part but such an epic character and what a what a great way to reintroduce him in the movie setting. I love everything about it. I love for the fans like you and I and the hardcore fans that have watched Clone Wars and Rebels and we know all about how this has come about, how how Maul survived the, the being chopped in half by Obi Wan and. They make a real point, because this is a hologram, as you say, they make a real point of making sure that the the lighting on the legs is sufficient enough so that anyone who's looking can see these mechanical legs. Because if, as I'm sure there are many people watching this movie haven't followed the animated series, but know enough from The Phantom Menace, if they see it, they're like, is this like a guy that looks like Maul? Because he got killed by everyone. Who can this possibly be? There must be a lot of people at this point who are quite confused. Yeah, yeah, def- I, I think you're right, and I think um, I think what this is what again Star Wars is is as a universe has done well, right? Like they give enough in the movies that you don't need to watch the the wider um, animated series if you don't want to, but if you do and you want to read the box and you want to go deeper, there's so much good stuff out there for you, and it allows you know people like you and me to really nerd out about it. Yeah. Oh, and nerd out. We did. I mean, he even managed to find an excuse to force grab his lightsaber and ignite you know both blades and have the phantom menace theme tune play very subtly in the background just to be absolutely sure we know who who we're dealing with it's for me when i'm seeing this point and i guess we're right at the end of the movie so i'm going to start talking about it this is the point where i'm like oh here we go we've got a sequel in the i need more now you can't leave me you can't bring back more for 30 seconds and have han and lando and i guess we've still got a final scene with the, the final game of sabak but this is prime setting for i need more i need more well and this is the thing right this this literally even re-watching this movie now is like i need i need the second movie to this i need you know we we need more of this in fact give me a whole you know we don't want to call it the darth Maul movie but give like give me more darth Maul. like he's such a you know and we we experienced this and particularly in the uh the last sort of four episodes of the Clone Wars, Darth Maul is such an incredibly complex, smart character. I Give me the Crimson Dawn um, stories. I'm, I'm interested. Oh, the whole way. Give me a sequel movie or or have this brought into the TV series, whether it's... Because we've got the Lando series, which, of course, it still hasn't been clarified as mm. to whether it's going to be Billy D. Williams, whether it's going to be Donald Glover, whether it's going to be someone else altogether. I can't imagine it would be someone else altogether. That would seem unlikely. But, um, you know, it's a prime setting to have this this universe explored more. I think because of the backlash and because of how well we've seen the, the TV series largely land, I feel like having it told through the medium of a, a six-part, ten-part, Disney+, plus whatever, is the safer option and ultimately gives us more. You know, like... 
we're 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 building up this this podcast we're building up to the obi-wan series i'm so much more relaxed and happy about the fact that that's a tv series and not an obi-wan movie I, I agree. I agree. In fact, because if it was a movie, right, we'd get two hours, but now we actually get six hours or it's, five and a half, whatever it might be. It's always the way. Or This is the way. Mm. It's always the way. Um, Dan, I want to ask you before I forget, um, so I would like to see more of Gorilla at the start and understand more about the relationship and, and all that sort of stuff. What, for you, if you could change one thing about this movie, if it's is it something you've already touched on or is there something else? You know, as much as oh, there's so many bits, I think I would probably cut out. I think I would tighten up some of our scenes and maybe cut a few that we didn't need. I kind of would be interested if we maybe had the Darth Maul reveal earlier, oh, and yeah. we could have seen uh, yeah. maybe more Darth Maul come to come to life through this because I think it just would have brought a whole nother level of sort of villainy to this this film. But I think in doing so, that you would have to lose other major scenes in this and I, it does make me wonder you know given that we didn't actually get much out of the start of the movie given its sort of short nature this movie could have almost started at the sabak table with you know needing a, needing to win a ship and that's sort of where it, where it all starts but anyway i sort of digress there's it, it's probably just little things but it's again it's nothing major i i still really enjoy this movie i think this is great cool and you know it kind of goes back to my comment at the start when we're like you know, we've discovered we're not actually, you know, Beckett's like, I'm actually doing this for Crimson Dawn. And, and I'm like, why do I care about that? If at that point, I already know, because as you say, we've inserted more, which gets my attention. And I understand, therefore, how big this 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 thing is. If we'd had that early on, then maybe it would have carried a lot more weight. I think that's a really, really great idea. Just to close the movie out there, Dan, I do enjoy the final scene um, of the, the return game of Sabak because we know that Han wins the Falcon back somehow. And of course, he's showing the first few signs of wisening up and being a little bit more, okay, I think I, I understand you and I'm going to play you here. And it's a nice bit of sleight of hand to steal Lando's card machine, whatever he's got up his sleeve. And and then we blast away into hyperspace. And it's that is a great way to end a movie. I think, and this is the thing that makes me the most sad, right? Like, is because of its kind of mixed reception and its reception ultimately stopped. Because, like, you remember there, at that time, there was a bunch of movies going to come out. Like, there was Boba Fett, there was Yoda, there was there was all sorts on the cards, yep. and that ultimately the reception caused them to rethink how they were going to do it. And I think, like we've just said, it worked out for the best because they've now turned into Disney Plus TV shows, but. I want I want Elden back. I want I want to see more adventures of of Han and in the build up to a new hope. And I I think you're right. Hopefully we get that through Lando, but I think there's there's so much there's the Han and Chewie adventures are ripe for the picking. I want to see more Crimson Dawn. It's and this is why I think we get so excited when we talk about like the book of Boba Fett and like is Kara gonna come back into it? Are we gonna get more Darth Maul? It's because there's kind of all these loose ends out there that never quite get kind of like um finished off because of kind of this weird subculture of the internet and there's to yeah. complain and moan about everything. Oh, honestly, Dan, the things about this day and age we live in which just wind me up and that is one of them. Never read the comments. Alden hasn't actually had anything release on the big screen since Solo. He has been involved in a, in a 2020 TV series called Brave New World, which I haven't seen, which I'm keen to watch. He's got a few things in production, but nothing actually has actually seen light of day since this movie. And he is a terrific actor and he needs another chance. I feel like 
just like the power of hashtag release the Snyder Cut, we're going to see the power of make Solo 2 happen or whatever it is. I feel like it will come. I feel like we will get more of these characters. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Lando series. But for now, Dan, as a as we always like to do on these podcasts, the ranking of these movies, where are you placing Solo? I'm, I, I don't know. I'm looking, I'm looking at my list. So we've both been the same so far. Like we've, we've both got Revenge of the Sith, The Phantom Menace, and then Attack of the Clones. Oh, I'm torn between putting it under Revenge of the Sith or am I putting it under The Phantom Menace? Where are you going, Paul? I, I, I'm, top of I the pile. Time. Top of the pile. It is top of the pile, of the for, pile you. for me. Yep, it is. So I'm going Solo, Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones, and uh, sorry, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. So Solo, 312. That's amazing. I think I'm going to put it, we're out of sync. I'm going to put it under Revenge of the Sith, I think, because. Revenge of the Sith is still such a a special movie for me that kind of brings everything together. So yeah, Revenge of the Sith, Solo, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones for me. Nice one. Well, I am enjoying these reviews. And of course, the next time we sit down to review a Star Wars movie in this podcast, it will be Rogue One. And I look forward to that, Dan. Do you know, that is the one movie I'm looking forward to reviewing the most. It's, it's, I can't wait. Great stuff. Well, well, that probably brings us to the end of another one of these reviews. And I'd just like to give a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, may the force be with you and adios.